Ah, yes, I know what prayer can do. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you don't have to be down on your knees. Uh, all you got to do is pray. I've seen the Lord move. I've seen the Lord change situations and circumstances. I've seen things turn around. Yeah, sometime in a, yeah, in a, in a, in a minute I've seen it turn around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometime immediately I've seen it turn around. Hallelujah. If there's any sick among you, the Bible says, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. Hallelujah. Yeah, and the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous available for the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Glory, 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 glory. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hey, Matthew chapter 1, this is a, a laborious scripture because we don't normally read this, but there is something in this for us today. Number, verse number 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Perez whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, <clears throat> Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elud, Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matthan, Matthan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. I want to talk about reestablishing foundations, reestablishing foundations. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for this word that you've sent this morning, Lord God, and for what this word will accomplish in our lives as we talk about reestablishing foundations. Your word, when it goes forth, will not return to you void, but it will accomplish all that you desire, and you said you'd prosper your word in the things that you sent your word to. Thank you for sending your word to us now. Thank you for what your word will accomplish in our lives. We are here. Our hearts and our minds are present. We are alert. We are listening to hear 
what you have to say to us to stay. Speak, Lord. Your servants here in Jesus' name. Amen. Reestablishing foundations. And I'm going to talk in this about roots, family, and grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On Wednesday of this week, the world experienced something that had not been experienced in 1,000 years. Many of you, of you watching the television, some, some stations talked about this, some news channels talked about this. But it was the lining up of 12, 12, 12. Amen. A lot was said about it. But for those of us in the Christian arena and for those of us who, are, who were in worship on Wednesday night, we came to understand that there was a spiritual significance to this alignment and the fact that it only comes every millennium, every 1,000 years. There will not be another 12, 12, 12 until 3,012, 1,000 years. Amen. Numbers are highly symbolic in Scripture. And one of the numbers is, that has great significance in Scripture is the number 12. And it's one of the reasons why Wednesday, 12, 12, 12, was such, a, such an important day, such an important day. The next time you get a message saying be in church because Bishop is going to do something special on Wednesday night, you ought to come. Amen. But you ought to come anyway. Amen. Amen. But if you have to get off work to come on that night, it'll be worth it. Twelve is the number of governmental perfection. Twelve is the number of governmental perfection. It deals with government. Governments deal with order. Government deals with establishing order. Amen? Amen. Uh, when you look at the number 12 in the scripture, 12 is, is, is repeated a lot of times. There were uh, 12 months to the Jewish calendar for most years. And now uh, the Jewish calendar will change according to certain things that happens uh, with, with uh, if I'm correct, with the moon. But, but for most years, uh, there are 12 months to the Jewish calendar. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 pillars that were erected at Mount Sinai. There are 12 pillars that were erected as they went into the promised land. There are 12 statues of oxen held up uh, that held up the water basin in Solomon's temple. There are 12 men were selected uh, by God to conduct the census of the tribes of, of Israel in Numbers chapter 1. Uh, there are 12 princes of Israel that brought gifts to the sanctuary on 12 days after the completion of the tabernacle by Moses. 12 spies were sent uh, 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 on a, uh, into, to spy out Canaan. Jesus had uh, had, had 12 disciples, amen? 12, 12, 12, 12. There are 12 legions of angels, amen? That, uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus was 12 years old, amen, when he questioned the scholars in the temple. There are 144 in the book of Revelation, amen? John saw, the first number he saw was 144,000. 144,000 is 12 times 12 squared by 10, 10 the divine order of perfection, amen? So we know that 144,000 is God establishing, we see God establishing governments and, and establishing his divine order uh, in the earth realm, amen? 12 gates to the New Jerusalem, 12 foundations to the New Jerusalem. The tree of life uh, and the new creation will bear 12 kinds of fruit, and it can go on and on and on and on and on. 
And not only is the number 12 highly symbolic, but 1,000 is highly symbolic. 1,000 illustrates completeness of fullness in whatever is in view. So when we come to 1,000 years, there is a completeness that has taken place in what has been in view. So what we have just experienced, amen, prophetically, we've seen the filling up of the last 1,000 years of God. Amen. Now, we may not have paid any attention to it in the natural realm, but something happened. Amen. Something was taking place and something filled up on Wednesday. Amen. Amen. Uh, in the prophetic realm, the filling up, amen, of the last 1,000 years of God. And at 12.01 a.m. on Thursday morning, amen, we see the beginning of another 1,000 years. We see the beginning of, a, so we're actually in a new millennium, millennium in the spirit. Now, when we begin to understand uh, governments and the number 12 and the significance of it and the establishment of it, one of the things that we need to understand is, is that there is the need for the reestablishment of the raising up of foundations. Because as we've come to the end of the last 1,000 years, we've seen a lot of foundations that have tried to have been destroyed. We've seen the foundation of marriage that has tried to be destroyed. And the world is trying to raise up another foundation for marriage. Amen. Amen. We've seen things that have happened, amen, as it came down to the end of this 1,000 years. In this 20th and 21st century, we've seen some things change. We've seen the church attacked as the church has never been attacked before. Amen. So we're out of, we've seen the family attacked as the family has never been attacked before. People do not have a real concept of family anymore. Amen. Because we live in a very individualistic society. And even as I was talking to our children this morning. When I was a boy, amen, on Sunday, we went to church with the same people we lived in the community with. Now most of us live in communities with people we hardly know. Amen. On Sunday afternoon, people will come by the house and visit. Folk don't come and visit anymore. People come to your house, you look at the door, see who they are and why are they coming to your house. Unless they're in your little group. But folk will come and visit. Amen. Amen. The same people we rode the school bus with were the same people we went to church with, were the same people we played baseball with, the same children that would come to our house. Amen. Some of them, not all of them, because our parents were particular about some folk, you know, some people, you couldn't go to their house and, and, and they couldn't come to your house depending on how they acted. But, 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 but the same people, amen, the same people. And, and, and in, in the community where my parents live, when we grew up, most people were related to one another. Amen? And everybody knew each other. You know, if there was a need, people helped meet the need. I remember times when we were little, and you've heard me say this before, if mama was sick, there were some other ladies that would come and cook for her, clean for her, make sure we were taken care of because they had a sense of family and a sense of community. We're very individualistic today, even in our houses. All of us have our iPads. We have a television in every room. If, we're not, if, if, if my, watch, my wife is watching something I don't want to watch, I can go to another room and watch something else. My son gets his games and goes upstairs to his room. If that happens in most of our houses. We don't have a sense of family anymore. When we would eat, when we would eat dinner, 
All of us will sit at the table and eat dinner together. Now we eat in front of the television. We get a dinner tray. That happens in anybody else's house because we are very individualistic. We have almost destroyed the concept of family. Amen. And as we enter, as we enter this new millennium, millennium, God is saying that this is a time to raise up foundations. Hallelujah. Yeah, we worship him. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Are you following me? Are you listening? Yes, yes. This 1,000 years, this 1,000, this number 1,000. And, 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 and so it, it is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've come to, we've experienced a completeness, a fullness uh, 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 prophetically, amen, in the in this last 1,000 years of God, and we've entered a new 1,000 years, and it's time for us to begin to reestablish and raise up foundations. Raise up foundations, raise up foundations, raise up foundations, raise up foundations. We're in the Christmas season. In fact, in two weeks, week after next, uh, or the week after, we, we, we will be celebrating the birth of, of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? As we focus on, on the Christmas event, uh, the birth of our Savior, Amen. It's always in order to see what God is saying and see what God is doing so that we can flow properly with him. Amen. So, you know, as I begin to pray about a message to bring to us on Sunday, I want to see something in Scripture that, that, that we are not focused on as it relates to Christmas and, and see what God was saying as it relates to reestablishing foundations. Because God wasn't just sending a gift into the world. God wasn't just sending a baby into the world. And God was doing more than just sending a savior in the world. As we study the scriptures, there are things we can see. There are things we can glean from the scriptures that will help us in our lives. That's why God has given us the word. Amen? That's why we must study the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. We must tell your neighbor, we must study the word. Yeah, yeah, Sunday morning is not enough. Tell somebody. It's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. So, so, so we need to see what God is saying and see what God is doing so that we can flow properly with God so that we can flow properly with God. Are y'all listening? We need to be flowing with God. Amen? I'll say it again. We need to be flowing with God. I'll say it again. We need to be flowing with God. Hallelujah. We flow with a lot of people and a lot of things, but we need to be flowing with God. Amen. We flow with a lot of things and a lot of people, 
We need to be flowing with God. Amen. You're going to flow with your school schedule for your children. Flow with your church schedule for your children. Flow with ministry schedule for your children. You're going to flow with your job schedule. Flow with ministry schedule. If we don't flow with God, we find ourselves missing some key concepts and foundations that God has laid and ultimately lose out on the benefit of those uh, foundations uh, in our lives. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we, if we miss out on the benefit of those foundations and those concepts, it, effect, it affects our destiny and those of our offspring in an adverse way. See, if I don't flow with God, it's not just me that's messing up, but I'm going to mess up my son. If I act the fool, it's not just me that's going to that's be affected. You're going to be affected too. So I need to flow with God. We need to flow with God. We don't need to miss concepts and foundations and instructions and teachings of God. As we look at this account relating to the birth of Jesus, there are some things that I believe we've missed in the account that are so vital to us, all because most of the time we don't think this is important. We don't read this passage of scripture for any spiritual edification. Most of us don't. Because we see it just as a list of names. And we don't see the value of this. But prayerfully today the Lord will point out some things to us. Amen. That will, that, that will cause us to understand some things and, and flow with him. Uh, so there are some things that, that we've missed in the account that, that are vital to us that we want to talk about as we deal with laying or raising up foundations. I'm led to deal with these issues so that we can be uh, in line with God and be assured that we are under the flow of God's blessings and God's anointing. These things are foundational things that God wants us focusing on as we begin the next 1,000 years. Not that we've not heard about them, because what I'm going to talk about you've heard about, amen, uh, but they don't have the place that they once had in the lives of many people. Now, maybe this message does not speak to you at all. So if it don't speak to you, just pray, because I know what prayer can do. Amen? Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Amen? Uh, so, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. There are three things that I'm led to point out today as we look at this account. And, and, and the first thing deals with roots. Somebody say roots. 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 In the first chapter of Matthew, we see evidence that Jesus Christ had historical roots. Amen. Historical roots. Walk with me. Don't turn me off. Galatians 4 and 4 says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, 
born of a woman under the law. The phrase fully comes has the idea of fruit ripening for the moment of harvest. I said to you that God moves in appointed times and seasons. So when the time had fully come, when, 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 when the time was right, when, when, when God had perfectly prepared every detail of history, he sent his son into the world, born of a woman. Born of a woman. Historians have known for years that, that at the time of Christ, there was a widespread expectation that something was about to happen. They had a sense that something was about to happen. Amen. The ancient religions of Greece and Rome held out hope that a deliverer would come from heaven. The Jews, and you know the Jews, amen, uh, they knew that the Messiah was, would come according to prophecies. Even the Persians studied the heavens and knew that the time was at hand. You read in the second chapter of Matthews where it says that, 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 that wise men, the Magi, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen a star in the east. Now how did they know it was his star? Because they had been studying times and seasons. These were not Jewish people. These were Persian people. We've seen this time in the east and we'll come to worship him. So yes, they knew they had a sense that something was about to happen. There was a desire, there was a hope, there was a yearning, there was a deep feeling, there was a deep feeling throbbing in the hearts of humanity that someone must appear who would radically change the world. Now, they, excuse me, they, no, they were not consciously expecting Jesus, but the yearning was undeniably there. Amen? And into that expectant world, into that expectant world, God sent his son just in the right time, just in the right way. Into that expectant world. What are you expecting today from the Lord? Yeah. Matthew 1 is telling us that Jesus had roots. Yeah. He had a family. A real family. He had a family. I know some of you are saying, well, I know that. You know, we talk about Mary and Joseph. But, you know, a lot of people think that that's fiction. That's just a story that somebody made up. Might be somebody in here today that think that's just a story. Jesus had a real family. He had a family tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't just drop down out of heaven. He didn't appear magically on the scene. But at the perfect moment of history, Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem. But that family tree was not only with Mary and Joseph. His roots extend all the way back to Abraham by way of David. His roots, somebody say roots. 
prove that he had a right to the throne and a right to be called the Messiah because that was who he was and is. His roots. This genealogy to a Jewish person would be vital because they understand roots. There were other people at that time with the name Jesus. How did they know that this was the one that was the Messiah? Because he had roots. They could trace his genealogy. In Israel, they couldn't just go and buy land because land had to stay within the tribal boundaries. So how did they know if you came from a particular tribe? They had roots. After the exile, when they came back into Jerusalem and the reestablishment of the priesthood, how did they know who were descendants of Aaron so that they would have the right people in the priesthood? They had roots. How many of you know your roots? How far back can you go? Just do a study on why it's important to know your roots. Many of our children don't know their roots. They might know who grandmama and granddaddy is. But they can't go back too far from there. So they don't know what's in their family line. You know, even when you deal with medical issues, sometimes you need to know your roots. There's a saying that if you don't know where you come from, you wonder why we have a lost generation. We wonder why our children are so displaced and so disconnected and so disjointed. They don't know where they come from. Anyway, I can't preach too long on this. Let me go on. There's more to say. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus had roots. And Matthew 1 begins by saying, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham should have been mentioned first, right? But they mentioned David first because it wasn't important that he was a son of Abraham. All Jews were a son of Abraham. It was more important that he was the son of David because of the kingship being passed down. And the promise God made to David that that would always be one of his heirs on the throne. So they knew that Jesus was king of the Jews because they could trace his roots. Anyway, yeah, yeah. He had a right to the throne. And it was determined by his genealogical roots. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, if there's any question in your mind as to whether Christ is the Messiah, this ought to be proof enough. Amen? Hallelujah. They traced his roots. It couldn't have been anybody else. And this is to say to us, we need to know our roots. 
We need to know where we come from, who we are, who we're connected with, who's in our bloodline, who our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents. We're raising a generation of children who have no concept of roots. It's time to reestablish our roots. Sometimes I'm talking to people, and I say, do you know that that's your cousin? I haven't done that by way. Why would I know? Because I'm interested in my roots. And when I'm connected to people, I want to know who they're related to. Amen. So, when I sit down and talk to old people, I ask questions. Amen. I used to ask Sister Jeanette Matthews about her parents and her grandparents. I've been around long enough to know some things. So I'd ask questions. You don't know what to talk about when you sit with old people? Ask them questions. Sad thing is that a lot of people are dying and taking information to the grave with them. And our young people don't know who they're connected to. The second foundation that we see lifted up in the scripture, very close to the first, is that of family. Jesus was born into a family. Tell your neighbor, family is important. Jesus had a human family. He had a mother and a father and a history. He had a mother and a father. Now, all of us have mothers and fathers. Now, I don't mean any harm by saying this, so please don't be offended. You know me by now. All right. It's time for us to go back to mama and daddy in the same house with the children that they have in marriage. It's time for us to go back to that. Teenagers, young people who are unmarried, it's time for us to go back to it. Regardless of what has happened in the past, it's time for us to switch this thing. It's time for us to stop these generational curses that are in our bloodline. Because when you look at this scripture, when you look at the example that God set through Jesus, and even though Mary was impregnated by the Holy Ghost, when, when the angel appeared to Joseph and he was going to put her away privately, the angel said, no, don't do this. This is of the Holy Ghost. And he took her as his wife. So G Joseph is considered the earthly father of Mary, I mean of, jo of Jesus, and he was married to Mary. Marriage is still honorable, and her bed is undefiled. You hear? This is the word of God. We have come through a thousand, through, through the last part of this last millennium where people are saying shacking up is all right. Men are saying you got to test the cow before you buy. And you buying into it thinking that you're a cow that got to be milked before they know you're not a test, you're not a car to be test driven. You got to have a standard. And sometimes it is not the man. You don't put it all on the men. Amen. And we've come through a period of time 
where family, the concept of family has just been almost wiped out. Even when you go to test two babies, people say, I don't need a man. Just take me to the sperm bank. But this, this, this is critical, saints. When we look at the scriptures, somebody said the scriptures. Jesus was born into a family. He had an earthly father and an earthly mother that were together. And even marriages, when you're having trouble in your marriage, you have to fight for your marriage. You just cannot decide, I don't want to be married anymore. There is no perfect marriage on the face of the earth. There is, there, there's no perfect woman and there's no perfect man. When I hear people come to me complaining about the other party, if I don't ask the question in the back of my mind, I'm asking myself, now what's wrong with you? What you do? You know, sometimes, brothers, we can be hard on our wives, but then we got to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what, what am I doing? You know, am I serving my wife the way I should serve my wife? Am I loving my wife the way I should love my wife? Am I helping my wife the way I should help my wife? Am I teaching my wife the way I should teach my wife? The Bible says we should dwell with our wives according to knowledge. If you got knowledge, there are certain things you know about women. So you marry them, so we marry them, so we just got to dwell with them according to knowledge. And they have to dwell with us because we, we're human beings too. You just can't decide, well, I'm done with this thing. You got to fight because the enemy, the devil, comes against families. What you're going through is not just because you're having an argument, just because you're having a disagreement, just because there are trouble. There is an attack of the enemy. Why can we not remember that we are engaged in spiritual warfare even in our marriages? Anyway, Jesus had a human family. Had a human family. Yeah, a human family. Father and a mother in the house. So that means God expects mom and daddy to be in the house. Married. He took Mary as his wife. He didn't shack up with Mary. All right. All right. We in the house. So, so when we look at this, it speaks to the fact that God is a that God is a family-oriented God. God is concerned about families. Amen. Matter of fact, family was His idea first. When He created Adam, what did He say? It is not good for man to be alone. And He created Eve. I would say the other thing, but y'all are going to laugh, and I don't think it's funny. I, don't, I think we need not laugh about that. It's a serious thing. We, shouldn't, we, we joke in the church about homosexuality. You know, we use the term, he didn't create Steve, and then the whole church go to laughing. You know, it's serious. No, it was not man and man. It was man and woman. Go 
established this. God established it. God established it. Hallelujah. So God recognizes the importance of family and very deliberately opposed this by sending Christ into this world by the way or by the vehicle of a human family, father and mother. It was not an accident. It was deliberate. In fact, when the angel, I said it earlier, appeared to Joseph, he said, don't put her away privately. Saints, God opposed family. Yeah, yeah. If we were study the scriptures, we see a lot of instruction in the scriptures relating to families. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hallelujah. Yeah, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. A lot of instruction in scripture regarding family. Maybe we studied some of the instructions in scripture, we'd do better. Yeah, we do better. We wait, we wait for the preacher to come and teach us everything. You need to study yourself sometimes. You know, you studying about getting a financial blessing, study about getting a personal blessing. Yep. Amen. So today, many families are in trouble, saints, because we put God and faith out of the picture when it comes to family. We've left raising our children to, to the schools. We left it to television. We've left it to the media. We, 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 we've thrown away our children. How much time do we spend with our children? Most families. If they're in football, they're at the football practice, the football game every day of the week just about. They go from one sport to the next to band to other things. They're always away from us. When do we bring them and sit them down with us? How much time? How much time? Yeah. But anyways, we look at this Christmas, at the Christmas account, and these first few days of the new millennium, it's important to know that God is concerned about family. And God is saying that we need to raise up the foundation a family again. We got to raise up this foundation. Family, his way, not the world's way. Amen? Amen. Lastly, the foundation, of, uh, the foundation that God is speaking to us about raising up is the foundation of grace. Roots, family, and grace. I know you say that they don't, they don't connect each other, but just listen. Amen? This is an important foundation to raise up. Why raise the foundation of grace? Well, because many Christians have slipped back into works. Works righteousness as a means of pleasing God. We think that the more we do for God, the more pleasing God will be for us. And we work not because we love God, but because we feel obligated to God. And many times we work because we've done something wrong and we want to make it up. That's not the way God operates. God is still a God of grace. He's still a God of grace. Amen. We're not justified by works. Amen. We're justified by grace through faith. Amen. As we look at these scriptures, we see a chronicle of the grace of God. 
I said as we look at these scriptures in Matthew chapter 1, we see a chronicle of the grace of God. If you study these names in detail, amen, it's almost as if God has pulled together a gallery of disreputable people. Hallelujah. Now, 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 we don't know about every person on the list, but of the ones we know, nearly all of them had notable moral failures. You ought to pay attention right now. If you drifted away, you ought to pay attention. Amen. Most of them, amen, nearly all of them had notable moral failures on their spiritual resumes. For instance, Abraham lied about his wife Sarah. Isaac did the same thing. Jason, Jacob was a cheater. Amen. Judah was a fornicator. David was an adulterer. And Solomon was a polygamist. Manasseh was the most evil king Israel had ever had. And so on and so on and so on. Are you hearing me today? Lord have mercy. You know, and, I, and when I saw Judah, and I know Judah means praise, you know, and we talk about Judah, amen, and we talk about praise, but we don't deal with the fact that Judah was a fornicator. My goodness. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Ah, hallelujah. Saints, this is, and, and, mm, maybe that's why sometimes there's such a problem in the music arena in the church. Because there is a spirit that came down from Judah. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Hallelujah. Anyway, that's not what I came to preach about. Amen. This is not a list of godly saints. Some were not saints at all. The best of these men had flaws, and some were so flawed that it is impossible to see their good traits. How does this show the grace of God? Well, it shows the grace of God because people like this make up Jesus' family tree. Hallelujah. People like this, a murderer on the list, a fornicator on the list, an adulterer on the list, a liar on the list, a deceiver on the list, and God knew it. God knew it. Think about that. Most of these men were very great sinners. Yeah, and God knew it. Were it not for the grace of God, these people would not have been included on this list. They would not have been in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God would have chosen somebody else. Hallelujah. And if you look further, you'll see more grace. Somebody say more grace. You see, this genealogy not only includes men, this genealogy includes four women. Ah, now that in itself is an unusual thing because when the Jews made up a genealogy, they normally did not include women on the list. Yeah, they traced the family tree from the father to the son. But in Matthew chapter 1, there are four women that are included in Jesus' family tree. Tamar is included. Rahab is included. Ruth is included. And Bathsheba is included. All of them, hallelujah, with the exception of Ruth, ah, glory to God, all of them are unlikely people, and with the exception of Ruth, none possessed an exemplary character. Tamar, ah, 
uh, was included in incest because, glory to God, she had sex with her father-in-law. Uh, she was an immoral woman. She, she feigned prostitution. Uh, she was a Gentile. Rahab was a harlot. Uh, if you don't know what a harlot is, Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, she was a liar. She was a deceiver. She was a Canaanite. Uh, Ruth was a woman of Moab. Moab was a nation born out of incest. And the Israelites and the Moabs hated one another. Bathsheba was the woman that David took from Uriah and killed Uriah for. So she was an adulteress. Four unlikely women included on the list. Hallelujah. Three are Gentiles. Hallelujah. Three are involved in some form of sexual immorality. Two are involved in prostitution. One is an adulteress. All four of them are in the line that leads to Jesus Christ. Why would God include women like this on this list? Hallelujah. But it's not just the women. Think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. They were sinners too. Why would God include people like this on the list? Well, I think there are three reasons at least that God included them on the list. He did it to send a message to self-righteous people. Oh, my goodness. You see, the Jews, the Pharisees, and the scribes were self-righteous and judgmental people. Hallelujah. They truly thought that they deserved eternal life. Hallelujah. What a shock it would be to read this genealogy uh, because it's filled with liars, with murderers, with thieves, and adulterers, and harlots. Not a pretty picture. Not a clean family tree. This list is a stinging rebuke to the kind of judgmental, self-righteous attitude that some people in the church have today. Hallelujah. Oh, you might be have your nose sticking up in the air. Glory to God. Thinking you're better than everybody else. Mm, Lord have mercy. Thinking that you're the best thing that happened since Jesus. But even in Jesus' family tree, there's some murderers and some liars, some prostitutes, some thieves and some adulterers. Jesus had a sinful family. He came from a long line of sinners. I don't know what's in your family tree, but this ought to give you hope. Maybe you came from a long line of sinners. I know we try to dress it up. We don't want to talk about our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Oh, but... It's in the family. Lord have mercy. It's in the family. So we need to lift up our heads and not be self-righteous and find hope in Jesus. But also he did it so that God's grace might be richly displayed. If you come from a family like this, you can't exactly boast about your heritage. Sure, your ancestors, hallelujah, were rulers and kings. 
but they were also great sinners. Can a prostitute go to heaven? Can an adulterer go to heaven? Can a murderer go to heaven? Can a liar go to heaven? You better say yes because Rahab and David are both going to heaven. And Rahab was a prostitute. I said she was a prostitute. You remember that woman that they caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he stooped down and began to write it on the ground. And when he looked up, he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, master, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That woman walked by faith. Regardless of what her past was, she made it into heaven. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody needs hope today. You have an unsavory past. You've done some things that were not right. You've done some shameful things. And somebody who is self-righteous might say there is no hope. But I found out a long time ago that as long as there is a God, there is hope. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We see God's grace richly displayed in this genealogy. And we need grace. We need to reestablish the foundation of grace and trust the Lord. Hallelujah. To make it into the kingdom. Because we're not going to work and get it. We can't get so right that we are pleasing to God. We can't do so many right works that we are pleasing to God. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Yes, it's by God's grace. This is what I found out. He gives more grace as our burdens go greater. Hallelujah. He sent his strength as our labors increase. To add to the fictions, he adds mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. Hallelujah. His power knows no boundary. Hallelujah. Known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He gives grace. He gives grace. He gives grace. More and more grace. Somebody said amazing grace. 
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Hallelujah. God, I thank you for grace. God, I need your grace. I've got to live by your grace. I've got to depend on your grace. I've got to lean on your grace. Grace in the morning. Grace at noonday. Grace at midnight. Grace in my car. Grace in my home. Grace! Grace! He put the genealogy here so we can see that his grace has been richly displayed. And then finally, he did it so that we would focus on Jesus. The focus cannot be on ourselves. The focus has to be on Jesus because it's God who says through faith in Jesus, we've trusted in the finished work of Christ's own Calvary. It's Jesus. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. At the name of Jesus, sicknesses are healed. Our focus has to be on Jesus, not on family, not on accomplishments, but on Jesus. Hallelujah. He is the one that we need to be hooked up to. He is God's messenger and bearer of grace for sinful humanity today. Regardless of our background, regardless of our sin, regardless of what we've done, God's grace through Jesus is available for you and me. Reestablishing foundations. Reestablishing the foundation of our roots in our families. We're establishing the foundation of family, seeing what God did in Jesus, and reestablishing the foundation of grace, of grace, the foundation of grace. I need to ask you a question. Who do you need to grace today? Who do you need to grace today? Reestablish this foundation in your life, in your home, in your family. Reestablish it. Someone came to worship this morning and you were angry about something that happened in your house. You need to grace that other person. We established that foundation. Are you hearing me? We established that foundation. Grace that person. Grace that person.
with your children, parents. Sometimes they don't do right. Sometimes we have to discipline them. We set the punishment, then grace them. Show them love. Don't say they don't deserve it. You don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it to you anyway. You punish your children, then every time you look at them, you got a mean look on your face. Stay mad at them for a whole week. Fussing at them, yelling at them. Because something happened way last year. What happened to Grace? What happened to Grace? In ministry, we have to grace each other. We have to grace each other. I was talking with one of our members the other day. She said, Bishop, I don't see how you do it. I just chuckle. I understand grace. There's no sense in me being mad at you. First of all, it doesn't glorify God. It does not glorify God. And I put more, more, more effort into being angry with you about something than I would if I just grace you, forgive you, pray for you, and go on and still love you. We need to grace each other. God says reestablish this foundation. Let's stand.